Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. The Gambia is a tiny country in Western Africa. It's a narrow sliver on the ocean, surrounded by Senegal. It's got a population of under 2 million, and according to my guest today, Jeffrey Smith, it is the worst dictatorship you have never heard of. Smith is a human rights researcher, now a consultant to human rights activists in Africa through his firm Vanguard Africa, and in our conversation, he describes the politics of repression in Gambia and how the deteriorating situation in the country is having profound regional and even global consequences. Indeed, I was surprised to learn that the Gambia, as small as it is, is actually a major source of refugees crossing the Mediterranean to Europe. We also discuss a foiled coup plot that was planned here in the United States by Gambian Americans. The Gambia is obviously not much in international headlines, so I was glad to be able to shine a spotlight on this really undercovered story. And even if you've barely heard of the country, or if you follow African politics closely, I think you'll still appreciate this conversation. As always, if you're new to the podcast, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archives, get in touch with me. If you are a regular listener, thank you for listening regularly. Please share widely with others. I think you'll like this conversation. I know I did. I certainly learned a, a lot about a country I really did not know much about before this conversation. I just knew that there were things happening there because through my Don's Digest Global News Clip service, the Gambia and situation in the Gambia and protests in the Gambia sort of kept popping up in my newsfeed. Uh, so I thought, let's explore this issue a, a little deeper. And so I did. And so here is my conversation with Jeffrey Smith. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So the president of the Gambia, Yahya Jammeh, came to power in July 1994 in a, in a bloodless coup. Since that time, many would argue, certainly I would argue, he's presided over the worst dictatorship that many people have never heard of. And, and interestingly, before taking power, uh, Jammeh, who was then a captain in the Gambian military, attended a, a police training course at Fort McClellan, Alabama. Uh, in 1994. A month later, he, he went back and overthrew uh, the democratically elected president of the country, Dauda Joara, who had been um, the, the steward of the country since gaining independence from Britain in 1965. So does that suggest that Jammeh has long enjoyed close ties with the United States government? I wouldn't say necessarily close ties. Uh, it is interesting in the sense that uh, he did uh, attend a military training course here. He sense uh, assuming there have been power- lots of uh, dictators around the world who you know were junior officers who attended training courses in the United States. Though, to be fair, 
Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think it's an, an interesting tidbit that, that people uh, forget about. So there is that nexus. And since coming to power in 1994, he, he came to power as a junior military officer with no money to his name. His, his family, you know, was not by any means, uh, you know, uh, came, came, from, came from money. And since that time, he has accumulated massive amounts of wealth and currently uh, owns properties uh, in the United States, including a $4 million mansion in Potomac, Maryland, not 20 miles from the White House. Uh, his, his children, uh, go to private boarding schools, uh, in the United States. So, so it has been interesting to sort of watch that trajectory where you have a fundamentally poor country, the only country in West Africa since 1994 when he came to power that has actually had an overall average decline of GDP per capita since that time. But, uh, a president uh, who, who who remains uh, who has been able to, to to garner incredible wealth. Right now, this just kind of through corruption. Through is there like natural resources uh, to exploit the proceeds of which line his pockets? There are no uh, big natural resources in Gambia, but it, it it is you know through the research that has been done by by numerous. Uh, human rights groups and, and anti-corruption watchdog groups from Transparency International publish what you pay. Uh, corruption is absolutely rampant uh, in Gambia, and it's it really you have a number of factors working in Jame's favor in the country. It's incredibly small; it's the smallest country in mainland Africa, so it's it's essentially run as a mafia state where where the president controls everything. Every revenue-producing uh, enterprise goes directly through Yaya Jame. So he is profiting profiting immensely off of that. There has also been a number of, of investigative reports done that tie Jame to regional drug smuggling, to arms deals, links with Hezbollah, uh, links with um, various uh, rebel groups in the Casamance region of Senegal, for instance, and many people have made those links uh, to show how he has been able to to accumulate this wealth uh, over the years, allowing him uh, to buy these multi-million dollar properties uh, in, in very lucrative neighborhoods in the United States. Uh, and so can you talk a little bit also about the country of, of Gambia? It's, it's a sliver of a country. You said it was the smallest country in mainland Africa, surrounded on all sides or on three sides uh, by Senegal. The other side is, is ocean. Um, it's a population of what, like two million yeah, so it's slightly under two million. I think the last census pegged it around between one point eight and one point nine million people. Uh, interestingly, there the population has taken quite a dip over the past two years. Uh, many people, and including some of your listeners, may have you know been paying attention to the ongoing refugee crisis. And Gambia has played a, a hugely significant, in fact, disproportionate role in that regard in terms of the number of people. Uh, crossing the, the the Mediterranean to Europe to this day, despite a population of less than two million people, Gambia actually ranks in the top ten uh, of total total number of people uh, that that have crossed the Mediterranean. And just to, to throw out some really staggering uh, statistics, um, just looking back uh, in in 2015 through the first half of that year. Um, Gambia was fifth in terms of total numbers of refugees making that journey across the Mediterranean. The only countries that they were behind were Syria, Nigeria, Mali, and, and Eritrea. And just to put that into further perspective, um, Gambia has about 1% of Nigeria's population and, of course, no jihadist insurgency, but has accounted for about 5.1% uh, of all refugees that reached Italy by sea. 
which is just shy of Nigeria's 5.3%. That's, that's crazy. That, that is, I did not know that. So why are they fleeing? What are they fleeing? Are they fleeing Jame? Are they fleeing desperate conditions? They're, they're fleeing both. So Jame uh, is, is the cause of the desperate uh, conditions there. It's, it's a horribly repressive country, like I said at the, at the very outset. It's the worst dictatorship that, that most people ha have never heard of. It's really been thrust into the international spotlight recently uh, because on April 14, these long simmering frustrations inevitably boiled over. You had scores of Gambians who bravely took to the streets with an emphasis on the word brave because this is a regime, again, known for its callous brutality of opening fire, using live ammunition on protesters. There's literally a law in the Gambia called the Indemnity Act, which provides immunity for security forces uh, if, if, if they were to open fire and murder people in the streets, which has happened uh, repeatedly in the Gambia, most recently in April of this year. So people went out into the streets. Uh, the opposition, uh, the fledgling opposition, the United Democratic Party became involved. Their leaders were detained in their, a very prominent youth leader of, of this opposition party was actually detained and tortured to death while in custody uh, in April of this year. And that has sort of been the, the catalyst for, for what we've been seeing over the past two months there. Uh, and the, the context for uh, these protests is that there is an upcoming election. Is that right? Correct. There's upcoming elections in December of this year. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, this will, this will essentially amount to Jame's fifth five-year term in office. Uh, there are no credible democratic institutions in place. The, in, the, the ostensibly independent electoral commission is anything but the actual commissioner uh, of, that, uh, of that institution has stayed beyond his constitutional mandate, has been unconstitutionally in power for the past several years. Uh, and it's it's sort of uh, you know it's it's more emblematic of of the broader state of affairs in the Gambia, where Jame essentially rules by fiat. Uh, the judiciary is not in any way independent. There are no democratic institutions. And just to put that into perspective, the last elections in 2011, uh, ECOWAS, which is the Economic Community of West African States, of which Gambia is a part, did not even bother to send observers, citing from the very outset that the playing field was so fundamentally flawed that there was no there was no chance or any semblance of a chance of having a free and fair election. So the Gambia really is a black eye on a region that is otherwise that has otherwise advanced tremendously in terms of protecting political rights and advancing civil liberties. And I, I want to get back to that, but I'd love to explore in a little more detail, like the means of repression used by the Jame government. Um, are, are there any like specific innovations that they uh, are using or, or specific sort of, you know, ways in which they are so effectively stifling dissent? Yeah, so Gambia really stands out in a number of ways. So across the African continent and even elsewhere in the world, you've sort of seen a shift in recent years where these longstanding dictators have have moved away slightly uh, from you know using baton wielding security forces and using overt brute violence and and force to 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 maintain power. Uh, you you start seeing you know using uh, under the guise of of the rule of law and and public order you know implementing laws that that make it uh, nearly impossible for for the opposition to operate or for civil society or a free press to 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 in any way function as as a credible institution in Gambia. You have this as well, but you have the added layer 
of 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 violence and of, and of brute force that that Jame and his security forces and the military and the National Intelligence Agency routinely use. There's there's a layer of fear in the country that I have never experienced in in my life working working uh, in in highly repressive countries from Swaziland to Zimbabwe. Uh, I, I've never experienced the, the level of fear that people have living uh, in in the Gambia, and I think. You know, for for people who are interested, I would I would encourage people to go and read the the latest Am- Amnesty International report that was just released this past week, and uh, a, a recent report by the United Nations Special Rapporteur uh, on Torture, Cruel, and Inhuman uh, Treatment, uh, Juan Mendez, where you know he really goes into detail about the 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 circumstances that these that these people face. Whether you're a journalist, you're a civil society activist, you're a human rights defender. Um, or even in any way perceived to be a critic of Jame, your life is in dire, is in danger, and, and you live in fear constantly. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, to a certain extent, Gambia is an outlier in a, a broader regional trend towards more openness and, and more um, democracy, particularly in that that corner of West Africa. I mean, Senegal, which surrounds it, is is a pretty vibrant democracy. Um what uh, what is the regional grouping doing? What is ECOWAS, which you referenced earlier, doing to try to influence affairs in uh, the Gambia to try to perhaps bring them under the fold? Or is there anything that that, that they're doing effectively? Yeah, the, I think it's it's uh, your your second question there is is more apt. Where unfortunately ECOWAS has not been playing a leadership role in this regard. Um, you, you, you've seen actions from the United States, for instance, uh, the Gambia actually became only the, the, the third country in the history of the African Growth and Opportunity Act to lose their eligibility due to human rights concerns. And uh, that, I other- should say the, the AGOA, which you reference, is an important um, economic tool that the United States uses to promote free trade with Africa. Absolutely. Yeah. So they became only the third country behind South Sudan and Swaziland to actually lose that eligibility uh, due to due to these prevailing human rights concerns. They lost their Millennium Challenge Corporation eligibility several years back as well. And then so I should the, say the Millennium Challenge Corporation was a piece of legislation created during the Bush administration to um, support development uh, uh, initiatives and global health initiatives in certain countries, but in order to be eligible, you have to meet certain good governance criteria. Correct. Correct. And and the Gambia is, is failing in, in all those respects. The European Union has actually played uh, an even better and, and, and more pronounced leadership role here. They have suspended um, hundreds of millions of, of, of euros in development aid. Um, most of this was precipitated uh, in December of 2014 when Jame uh, President Jame, in a public speech, threatened to, to, and I'm quoting here, to slit the throats of gay men living in the country. Um, so, so tying his tying his rhetoric and, and incitement to violence, but then also the the prevailing conditions on the ground. So, it's really been the United States, the European Union, ECOWAS just said this week that they will not be suspending Gambia from from that regional grouping, despite these ongoing threats to, to democratic freedoms in the country. Uh, and, and it's and it's an unfortunate situation. In the past month alone, you've had the Gambian president Yahya Jammeh threaten to kill again, quoting, threaten to kill the opposition like ants. You've had the Interior Minister uh, openly endorsing uh, the, the the killing of 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 civil society activists and of protesters who who continued to go out in the streets. And you had Gambia's ambassador to the UN, Sam Sar. Last uh, last month, there's there's a video recording of him saying, 
you know, openly advocating using violence and shooting to kill uh, protesters who, who continue to, to bravely go out into the streets. So this is, you know, this is not just, um, these are not just isolated incidents. This is a, a rogue state in which you have highly, uh, highly repressive leaders uh, or highly repressive leader at the helm who, who has surrounded himself with, with people who, who have no regard for the humanity uh, of their fellow citizens. So how, how do you explain then um, that Jame was invited to the White House uh, just a, a couple of years ago as part of a larger um, invitation of, of African leaders to the United States to for like it was like the African Leaders Summit a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, so like so, the first thing you do, if you Google Jame, like the first image that pops up is, is him with his wife and Barack and Michelle Obama. Yes, and that's that's something I've been very vocal about. Even in in August of 2014, you referenced the first ever U.S. Africa Leaders Summit, and Jame was indeed invited here. And and an interesting thing happened while he was here. Another example uh, of this 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 oppressive regime. So when he was here, uh, he was staying at the Five Star Hotel, the Hay, the Hay Adams Hotel, which is you know essentially right across the street. From the White House, and and during his stay here in August, uh, Gambia, the Gambian diaspora here in the United States is is incredibly vibrant, uh, and and they planned some demonstrations in front of his hotel. And during that time, uh, Jame's personal security agents came down, and in full view of Metropolitan Police. Uh, savagely beat those protesters, sending several of them to the hospital. One woman uh, in particular, Fatou Kamara, who was actually Jame's former press secretary in Gambia, who now lives here in the United States uh, in exile, was was sent to the hospital with a concussion. Uh, and, and no charges were filed. These people were able to leave the country under the cloak of diplomatic immunity. So you have essentially a dictator exporting his human rights abuses here to the United States and getting away with it. And this happened again in full view uh, of the White House. Um, so you referenced the Gambian uh, diaspora vibrant here in the United States. Last year, there was this rather bizarre um, incident in which – uh, some Gambian American citizens or American city and citizens with dual Gambian U S passport uh, citizenship uh, plotted a, a coup and tried to execute a, a coup in Gambia. Can you describe sort of what that, what, what happened there? Because that was sort of one incidents one incident in which sort of Gambia sort of bubbled to the top of, of news headlines here in the United States. And that was about a year ago. And it was kind of rather bizarre, but I think also telling of the broader situation in, in Gambia and the relationship between Gambia and the United States. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the December 30, uh, December 30th, 2014 attempted coup that certainly garnered widespread attention for two primary reasons. Uh, first, it was planned and executed by by seemingly upstanding members of the Gambian diaspora living here in the United States. Um, and then second, uh, and later, the, the crushing manner in which the Jame regime typically responded, which included the indiscriminate jailing of scores of Gambian citizens. These were family members and perceived associates of the coup plotters, including individuals illegally detained for several months, uh, and some as old as 84 uh, and as young as 14. A 14-year-old boy was actually detained for, for, three, for three months because he was, he was somehow uh, related to, to one of the, the coup plotters. So what was the, what was the coup? plot like like how was it hatched what was the you kind of talk us through some of the details because it's sort of fascinating yeah it was um it was a very fascinating instance so um from, I, I should say fascinating from like an international relations perspective where you have like a coup that's hatched a plot that's hatched here in the united states exported abroad 
Yeah, so it was it was an un, it was un, an unlikely band uh, of diaspora members, and it actually included two U.S. Army veterans uh, and a very prominent Minnesota businessman, another Gambian American. Um, it, it obviously failed, and there, like I said, the regime responded with with fury. It sentenced eight of the alleged coup plotters to death, um, and just recently, a, a, a Minnesota judge sentenced, uh, I believe it was three of, of the coup plotters here in the United States to, 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 varying, uh, to, to varying sentences. Uh, I think two, two of them have received uh, six months uh, in, in prison uh, of jail time. Um, and this was- Fairly uh, light sentence, we should say. And, and they were prosecuted under some, like, a, like a really obscure statute that prevents uh, Americans from plotting coups in countries with whom the United States has friendly diplomatic relations. Exactly, they were charged under the the Neutrality Act, which you know most Americans have probably never heard of. It's a very oft uh, or very little used law here in the United States, and I think the last time it was actually uh, invoked here in the United States may have had to do with uh, an attempted coup uh, in which American citizens were involved in in, in Laos. Uh, it's uh, one or two. Two decades ago. I'm forgetting exactly when, but very, very little used law here in the United States. Uh, and so what were some of the details of that, of that, like how they got um, caught and, and, and how the plot failed? Well, you know, based on, based on the reports, it seemed that these men, when they were planning this, uh, this attempted coup, that they had the buy-in of senior levels within Gambia's military. Um, and, and when they actually got to the state house, Jami actually was out of the country at the time. When they arrived in Banjul uh, and they, and they actually started moving uh, on the state house to, to ostensibly take it over, um, they realized that they had been betrayed and that the, it was heavily fortified and they were opened, you know, fire. They were, you know, the, the, the soldiers that were guarding, um, the, the, the executive state house opened fire on them. Several of them were killed. Some were able to escape the country, uh, and they were apprehended pretty quickly. The, the, the first, um, the, the first man escaped across to, to Dakar, went to the U.S. Embassy there, and he was, you know, immediately apprehended upon coming back to the United States. So it all unfolded very quickly. Um, and and again, the the unfortunate thing is is it provided a further pretext for for Jame and his government to to crack down uh, on on the country and and further revoke the the, the you know the very little po- political rights and civil liberties that that, that Gambians um, you know are, are unfortunately denied um, routinely. Uh, so what's what's next now for for Jame for for Gambia for for the Gambians? Like where where is this headed? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, you know. To to I, I've actually been very surprised by at the fact that these protests have continued since since April 14. People continue to go out into the streets. They continue to demonstrate. They continue to mobilize at the courthouse where Hussein Odarbo, the head of the main opposition party, is um, has has been appearing. He, he's currently uh, in prison and, and detained, uh, along with several other prominent members of the opposition. Um, so I think you know it'll be interesting to watch uh, in in a number of ways. I think um, you know there there are wide cracks within the military's senior levels. There has been uh, anyone who's who's followed Gambia has certainly kept up with this bizarre pattern of of hiring, firing, 
rehiring and then reshuffling of military personnel. This has created widespread resentment within Gambia's armed forces. Um, and I think the, the repression that has long stifled public dissent in Gambia now actually seems to be fueling it. The, the fear is certainly eroding uh, in the country. Again, you see people uh, going out into the streets, um, you know, at the literally putting their, putting their lives uh, on the line to do so. And I think the growing demonstrations, um, the fact that they have persisted uh, despite a wave of arbitrary arrests and, and, and as I mentioned, the brazen calls by, by the country's top diplomats to open fire on anybody seen protesting in the streets uh, certainly, certainly bears watching. And I think you know, the odds are surely stacked against uh, the, the political opposition and those out in the streets protesting. But as, as Jami himself has shown, when he came to power in 1994, politics in Gambia are certainly characterized by unpredictability. And the ongoing protests in this movement that has really gained momentum continues to, to exceed all expectations. So I think, again, the odds are stacked in their favor, but I think it certainly bears watching, particularly now where there actually is international attention uh, on the events unfolding there, which has not been there in the past. So you have that extra layer of, of, of international attention where you have the attention of the United States, who had the attention of the European Union, and certainly uh, that of ECOWAS, though they, they've been standing back till now. Uh, hopefully that will change um, because, as I mentioned before, Gambia really is uh, a horrible black eye on a region that has, has been making tremendous advancements in so many, so many areas pertaining to human rights and political rights and, and basic civil liberties. Uh, well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Jeffrey. And as I mentioned earlier, this story came to me via my work with Don's Digest. This is a news clips service that I suspect many of you probably already subscribed to. But if you don't, go to donsdigest.com, D-A-W-N-S digest.com. There's also a link to it on globaldispatchespodcast.com. But essentially, every morning, early in the morning, I send out, along with my partner, Tom Murphy, a roundup of the top and most interesting global humanitarian news from uh, around the world. So check it out. It's can curated by myself and, and Tom. And I think if you are listening to this podcast, you certainly ought to subscribe to the service. It's totally free. All you need to do is drop your email into our website. All right, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.